Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be able to read it together, allowing us to be able to sing together of the things that you have uh, preached to us through your word, the things that you have uh, taught us and applied to our hearts, hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we praise you for that and we worship you and we pray that this time in your word will continue to be a time of worship as we listen and as we pray and as we consider how you would have us respond to what you say to us through your word. Please lead our hearts, lead us in obedience, and if we need to repent, Father, I pray that you would call us to repentance. If we need to cry out for salvation, I pray that you would lead us to cry out for salvation. If we need to obey, I pray that you would lead us in obedience. Lord, I pray all these responses, Lord, would be worship from our heart um, for your glory and honor. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. The instruction here is to be of sober spirit and to be on alert. There's couple of main instructions that we see here. One is to be of sober spirit and be on alert. And the second instruction that we see is to resist the devil firm in your faith. Resist the devil firm in your faith. And there's some, some, uh, some specifics revolving around each of those, but I'd like to kind of walk through those one at a time. The first thing he says to us is to be of sober spirit and to be on alert. Now, this is not new to us. Uh, after reading the book of 1 Peter, we've actually seen this a few times already. The instruction to be of sober spirit and to be on the alert. Now, sobriety of spirit uh, basically means to be self-controlled. That means to, be, to stay focused and clear-minded. In the world that we live in, of all the distractions, of all the things that consume our thoughts and consume our time... Uh, we are instructed to make sure that we maintain self-control in the way that we focus on what matters most in this world. And then, in addition to that, we are to be on the alert, which means awake. We're supposed to stay awake. Um, now, that, as much as I would love for you to stay awake while I'm preaching, that's not what he's really talking about. He's talking about being alert to the fact that there are things going on around us and things that are coming against us that we need to pay attention to. And we need to not lose focus on those things. It's a readiness is what he's talking about. So be ready, be watchful. It is to remain on watch. So we are to stay on guard, on watch, 
ready because we are under attack. So it is essentially to be watching and prepared for temptation and to be ready and disciplined to do well. It's the idea that God has given us instructions for how we are to live in this world and we need to pay attention if we are to actually follow his instructions because if we let down our guard and if we stop paying attention and we become numbed out to the things that matter most then we will not do well with this life that the Lord's given to us there's too much opposition for us to not be on guard so we're to be prepared and we're to be disciplined that requires some form of discipline. And I believe that the Lord's given us a few tools to help us with being alert and to help us with being focused and, uh, and sober in spirit. I think the primary tools that he's given us are prayer and the reading of God's word, the study of God's word, the memorization of God's word. I believe that he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us apply his word to our lives, to open our eyes to what is right and to what is true in this world and to show us uh, a biblical worldview and to help interpret the world the way we should see it, interpret the God's word the way we should see it, and apply it the way we should. And he helps us in our prayers. And when we pray, scripture tells us when we draw near to Christ, he draws near to us. And I believe these are essential tools that God gives to us for remaining sober in spirit and alert. And I think one other tool that's often missed is the church, the body of Christ. I believe that is a very valuable tool that God's given to us that is designed for the purpose of helping us stay on guard and stay alert. When we gather together on a weekly basis and throughout the week, we are together reminding one another of what we know to be true, what we believe to be true, what we've confessed to be true. When we get together in community groups or on, uh, in Bible study classes or when we gather on Sunday mornings and we sing these songs together uh, and when we read God's word together or when we just simply meet one-on-one and we're preaching the gospel to each other, reminding each other of what we know to be true, then we are helping each other remain alert and remain focused and remain disciplined in what we know to be right and what we know to be true. So the big question here is, why is Peter telling us this? He says, be of sober spirit and be on alert. Why? Well, it's because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's why. We have an enemy. We have Uh, someone who has set himself in opposition to us for the purpose of destroying us. A couple things that I want to look at uh, in this statement. One is the word adversary. That word adversary comes from the Greek word that means accuser. He is the accuser. He's often known as the accuser of the brethren. Uh, He stands before God and accuses us of all the things that we have done wrong. And in fact, most of the time, he's not lying because we've done a lot. Now, uh, he is a liar, don't get me wrong. He is a liar and he is a deceiver. But he doesn't have to tell a lot of lies to accuse us of a lot. But here's the beauty of this, and I just want to take a a minute to um, elaborate on something special for us as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, who trust in the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus to cover our sins that the, all of the things that we are being accused of have already been transferred to Jesus on the cross. And all of those accusations 
are intercepted by Jesus Christ. For those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ and who have uh, the Spirit of God dwelling within us and have our sins paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and have been made right before the Father, then we know that all of those accusations fall short of reaching us because now we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and all of the things that we could and should be accused of have been paid for by Jesus. That is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why we rejoice in our salvation as Christians. And that's the only hope we have is because Jesus has accomplished this on our behalf. The accuser of the brethren is, has no power over us because of Jesus. And that, that is a hope that we hold. And if you're at all struggling with what it means to be a Christian and whether or not you have faith in Jesus Christ, I would invite you to cry out to him for salvation. Confess your sins to God. Repent of your sins and follow Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, Scripture says you will be saved. The Spirit of God will dwell within you. And the enemy, the devil, cannot accuse you of anything any longer. Even though you know you've done wrong. The Lord provides forgiveness and he leads us in repentance. So that's something really interesting to note about him being the accuser, the adversary, but also he's, he's listed as the devil. He has a name and that word means adversary or opponent. He is our enemy. He is someone who has set himself against us. Ultimately, not because just because he hates us, it's ultimately because he hates God. He is the, in the opposition to God. He hates God. He has set himself in opposition to God. He is the enemy of God. And as a result of his hatred toward God, he hates everything that God is doing in this world that is good. Everything that God is doing to redeem us, the enemy hates. And the devil desires to destroy. And so he, he has, therefore, set himself against us. And he uses, Peter uses an analogy here to describe the devil. The devil doesn't literally take the form of a lion, although he might be able to. He's taken the form of a serpent in the past. Uh, he appears in many forms, but I don't think Peter's telling us to watch out for a random lion that's hiding around the corner to eat us. He's telling us to watch out for this spiritual being that is a very real um, creature that God has created and has set himself against God. But listen to the analogy here. He says that he, he is described as a lion that prowls around looking for someone to devour. Now to devour something means to swallow up or to destroy to kill or to ruin something. The, the lion, the natural beast that it is, is extremely powerful. And it's a carnivore. It desires to eat meat. And so he goes after its prey and he attacks and he kills it with his claws and his teeth and he drags it away to a place where he can completely devour it. That's what lions do. And that is what Peter is saying that the enemy desires to do to all of us. He is a hunter and we are the hunted. His desire is to sink his teeth and his claws into us and drag us down and drag us away into this world where we can be fully consumed and devoured by the wickedness of sin in this world. Now, 
something I think it's important to understand is that although this is true about all people in this, in this world, all people are born in sin, living in the darkness of their sin and in desperate need of salvation. But this letter is particularly written to believers. And the warning here is that the devil wants to drag us down and destroy our lives. Now, I think it's good to understand that he cannot touch our souls. If we are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and his uh, salvation has, um, has secured for us an eternal life that God has provided and promised to us, that cannot be taken away by the devil and his attacks. But what can be ruined is this life that we've been given to live on this planet that God desires to use for his glory and for his honor. We can bring upon ourselves enough earthly consequences to make us what some would say or describe as no earthly good. We could incur upon ourselves enough consequence to destroy a life that is, uh, could potentially bring God glory by living God's way. We can ruin the testimony that we have to share. And it would be the devil's pleasure to sink his teeth in us through some small temptation and slowly drag us away into this world to the point that we finally look up and realize that we have been completely ruined. Now, this is the desire of the devil, and I think um, it's important to, uh, to see that before we move forward. Um, some things about the devil that are important to note that uh, often get um, forgotten or misunderstood. One is that uh, he is not omnipresent. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. So he can't be in all places at all times. He's not omniscient, which means he doesn't know all things. Only God knows all things. There are things about you the devil can't know. There are prayers that I believe that you, conversations you can have between you and the Spirit of God and, and, uh, uh, and your relationship with Jesus Christ that the devil has no part of and can't know anything about. I believe the devil is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. He is a created being, an angel with limitations. Now, so that's... He is not simply uh, God's antithesis in that God is uh, all that is good and the devil is all that is evil and they are equal forces battling it out like some kind of yin and yang. That's not how it works. God is the all-powerful. He is the only ultimate almighty force and eternal force. God has created Satan as a subjected being. He created the devil. He was an angel. His name was Lucifer, and he rebelled against God. And as a result of his rebellion, he was cast out of heaven with, his, with all the angels that were following in his rebellion. They were cast to this earth. They are the enemies of God. He has been judged. He has been defeated by Christ, and he is doomed. I think that is important for us to remember about this devil. Considering that he is powerful and he does have a role to play on this earth. 
in tempting the people of this earth and leading people astray. And his, he, as the enemy of God, has set himself against God and is seeking to devour and consume all that he can and destroy anything that he can get his hands on. But it is really good for us to remember he has limitations and he is doomed. One scripture that I want to read that's very important uh, is Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. It gives us a little picture of... What Jesus says about hell and the devil, and uh, it's, it's, it gives us a little bit of a picture of what's to come. In verse 41, after Jesus was talking about the judgment for those who are um, unbelievers, for those who turned out to not uh, be followers of Christ, in verse 41 he says, Then he will say to those on his left, being those people that he has separated. He talk, he's talking about separating the sheep from the goats, those who are believers from those who are unbelievers. And the goats are on his left and the sheep uh, representing the believers are on his right. He separates the sheep from the goats and then he's judging the goats for their unbelief and their sin. Goats is metaphorical for unbelieving people. All right. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So the fire, the eternal fire that God has created has been appointed for the purpose of judging those who are cursed in their unbelief, the devil, and also the angels that follow the devil, the demons that we might call them. All right. So this is something that's really important to recognize. Also in Ephesians Chapter 6, we get a little picture of this in chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. All right, so here Paul is talking about the devil conspiring with schemes, plans to destroy you and me through temptation. He says, stand firm. Firm against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, um, this is important for us to recognize uh, and to come to because throughout the letter that Peter wrote, uh, we're seeing this challenge for us to see all of our persecutors in the right perspective, to stand firm amidst persecution. There was a lot about persecution in 1 Peter. And I believe that we're being encouraged by Paul and Peter to recognize that our fight, though, is not against those people. Our fight is not against the people who come against us. Our fight is against something that is more powerful than that. It is against the devil and what he calls, what Paul calls... Uh, the rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I think that's kind of a description of the, all the demonic forces that are under the charge and authority of the devil, that are being instructed to do his bidding and to continue with the destructive temptations that, that he is orchestrating. Uh, and it probably draws into that a lot of what is considered to be the world forces, the world, the powers of this world that become tools of the devil for the purpose of wreaking havoc on the church 
and the body of Christ and you and I as individual Christians. So there is a warning here for us that these things are very real. The devil is real. His demons are real. The spiritual forces of darkness are real. And the warning is to be sober and to be on alert. So um, I'm just thinking about this and kind of praying through this. I kind of asked the question, so who is against us? What opposition exactly are we on alert for? Well, certainly, uh, you know, I, I came up with about five things. These can be a little nuanced. You could probably break it down a lot more characteristics if you want. You dig into God's word to find a lot more details. But here's some categories, I believe. Uh, these are factors that become tools of the devil to be used against us in our faith. So first of all, the devil himself. Well, which is what we've been talking about. But I think it's important to note that, that because he's not omnipresent, he can't literally be attacking all of us individually at the same time. He's probably somewhere in this world working on someone personally. I have no idea where that is or who that person might be. But most likely he does not have the kind of ability to be as present with all of us like the Spirit of God can. So he is extremely limited. Um, but it's important to note he also has spiritual forces of darkness, which we've talked about. His demons and all, the legions of angels that followed him in his rebellion are here wreaking havoc just as much as the devil is. But in addition to that, I believe that we also live in a world uh, full of persecutors. They are in opposition to us and seemingly are being used by the devil and by his influence to work in our lives, even when he's not personally present. We have people in our lives that seem to act like the devil because they have personally become our opposition. Now, again, just reminding you, our persecutors aren't the people we're actually at war with. We're at war with the devil. And I think that's important to note, especially from an evangelism standpoint. Our desire should be that all people be saved, even our persecutors. Our desire should be that even those people come to know Christ and repent of their sins and see salvation. Because after all, we have only been saved by our grace, not by our good deeds. Right? So, but I do believe that these are influences that are against us. And also the fourth one uh, is a, generally a culture of sin. We just live in a world that is broken by sin. We live in a world that because of sin, we see natural disaster, we see tragedy, we see sickness, we see uh, governments and world organizations that are established for the purpose of being in opposition to us. And we find ourselves sometimes under attack just simply from the natural things of this world because we live in a world that is broken by sin. Sometimes it's just simply sickness. And as a result of that, we suffer temptation because of the pain that we endure. The pain that we endure from just living in this world. And then the last one, which I do not believe is, should be taken lightly and often I think is forgotten, it is our own flesh. Our own flesh is in opposition to us and our faith. Paul talks about that a lot, where he says, the good things that I know are right, that I want to do, I find myself not doing those things. The bad things that I know are evil and wrong that I hate and I do not want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. And it's because my flesh is in opposition with my, to my spirit. 
And my spirit is in full agreement. My heart is in full agreement with the will of God. I love the will of God. I want to obey God. I want to worship God in spirit and in truth, in action and in obedience. But I find myself through the power of my flesh being disobedient. Paul talks about that battle. And I believe that because of the devil, because of the spiritual forces of darkness, our persecutors, the persecutors, the culture of sin, and even our own flesh, we face a lot of opposition. And I believe that is why Peter, especially here and at the end of 1 Peter, he's telling us to be of sober spirit and be on alert. Now, something to note, we, even though we know that the devil is not omnipresent, I believe that indirectly because of the curse, he is daily influencing us through all of these factors, whether it be some demonic force, whether it be our persecutors, whether it be the, the governments that we live underneath, the culture of sin and the, the pressures of temptation through all the media sources that we have, or even our own sinful cravings. Because of the curse of sin, the devil is daily influencing us. So I think sometimes... As Christians, we like to say the devil is, is, I'm under attack from the devil. It's kind of a general statement, right? Well, I think we could be nitpicking and say, well, you're probably not actually under attack from the devil. Maybe not. But in reality, in general, in a general sense, yeah, we probably are. In a general sense, we're under attack. And our opposition is great. Now, after saying all that, I think it's important to recognize that Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? We have a huge opposition, but if God is for us, who can be against us? 1 John 4.4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That, to me, is a a beautiful description of the limitation that Satan has in this world. Because of the Spirit of God dwelling within us, because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of our faith, we have the ability to walk through this life, through all of the opposition, and not fall to temptation, and not be destroyed by the devil who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he's telling us, be on alert, be sober, pray, read the word of God, draw near to Jesus, stay alert because we do have a great opposition, but remember that God is for us. And if God is for us, nothing can truly be against us. God is more powerful than the devil. And I think that is the bottom line. Charles Spurgeon once said, and in, uh, in, when I was reading about these verses, this is what he said regarding the devil. He said, be more prayerful every time he is more active, he being the devil. Be more prayerful every time he is more active. He will soon give it up if he finds that his attacks drive you to Christ. I thought there's a lot of truth in that. When in reality, if we're, 
if we're undergoing temptation on a daily basis and personal attack through all the pressures of this world and struggles, and we are daily running to our knees, falling on our knees, crying out to Jesus Christ for help and for strength and for the power of God to rescue us from our temptations and our struggles, the enemy will find that every time he puts pressure on us, it drives us to Jesus. Now, I know that sometimes... Um, I think that's kind of a general sense, a general principle. It's not a rule. Charles Spurgeon, I think, may be hitting, you know, a general truth. But you know that uh, there are a lot of people that endure difficulty all the way to the grave, as we've talked. Sometimes the opposition is relentless. You remember Job. The Lord allowed Job to be pushed almost to death. He lost everything. But he stood firm. The last thing that we see here in these verses, he says, Be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So the instruction here is to resist him firm in your faith. James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Lord has given us power to to cause the devil to flee from us and that power comes only through jesus christ resist the devil and he will flee from you now i want to add to this kind of a reminder from the book of jude book the book of jude kind of talks about uh it's really there's a little bit of a a spot here that is a warning about uh reviling angelic majesties uh, meaning don't mock the devil, basically, or blaspheme. That word revile means to blaspheme or slander. Let me read what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he, was, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, there's a lot there that could be explained. I'm not going to really get into what that was really teaching. But it's interesting to note that Michael, the archangel, an angel of God, was careful when he was in a dispute with the devil, was careful not to pronounce a railing judgment against the devil, was not to revile this quote-unquote, angelic majesty. So he was not going to uh, pronounce against him a railing judgment because uh, he recognized the power of the devil. And it wasn't because he had respect for him. It wasn't because he had any honor for him. It was because he recognized that the devil had a certain amount of power. And so he said that the authority that he was calling on for this rebuke was the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. So when it comes time to resist the devil, this is not an instruction for us to mock the devil, slander the devil, or blaspheme the devil as though, the, as though we have some form of a prideful, boastful position to stand from and mock our enemy. When we know that we have been so sinful and deserve to die a sinner's judgment, we have only been saved by the grace of God. 
Just because we have been saved by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within us does not mean we have the authority to revile this power. But the Lord has given us instruction. He has told us to resist. What's interesting about that word is that word resist means to withstand. It means to remain standing or to take a stand. So that's more of a defensive position in the sense that when you stand, you stand on, you take a firm-footed position in such a way that when you are attacked, you will not be moved, you will not be pushed down, you will not be moved to the side, and you will not be shaken. That's what the word resist means, especially in combination with this phrase, firm in your faith. But resist him firm in your faith. Now that your faith phrase is used in a lot of the same way as Paul uses the phrase, the faith, when he says we are people of the faith. He's speaking of having faith. That's one aspect of it, that we as believers need to have faith in God. And that's going to be very much a part of our defense from the enemy. But we need to be rooted in the faith, your faith. That is an overall term that speaks of uh, kind of a body of sound doctrine. It is everything that we know to be true about God, everything we know to be true about man, everything we know to be true about heaven and hell and about Jesus Christ and the power of God unto salvation, everything that we hold to by faith, all that we know to be true, all the rich teachings of truth, we are to stand firm in those things, not forget those things, be alert in those things, be self-controlled and disciplined in applying those things to our life in such a way that when we face spiritual attack, we will not be moved. Mm -hmm. That is what he's talking about when he says, resist him firm in your faith. Now, I think it is primarily a defensive position but it is not without offensive weapons. I think if we combine this with the rest of what we read in Ephesians chapter 6, we see what he says. He tells us to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. That, there's discipline right there. That's that uh, sobriety. That's that self-control. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. That's what we're being instructed to do. Resist. Stand firm in the faith against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. There it is again. Resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, meaning that there's work to do in order to prepare ourselves to stand firm so that we can therefore stand firm. Are you hearing that? Does that make sense? That means we're being instructed to do what's necessary to be prepared for battle. Since we have an enemy that desires to hunt us and kill us, we are being hunted. We ought to be prepared to meet that hunter in battle. And we ought to prepare ourselves well. We shouldn't be passive about our faith and about these warnings. And so what do we do? We go to God's word and we prepare our hearts. What does Paul tell us to do? Having done everything to stand firm, therefore stand firm. Having girded your loins with truth. Now this means that um, 
that that phrase having girded and then he goes into this list of things that we call the armor of God I believe that list goes with the preparation part of standing firm like these are the things that we put on in preparing ourselves to stand preparing ourselves to stand firm having girded your loins with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Notice the pieces of the armor. It is the truth of God. It's righteousness, which we find in Jesus Christ. Where do we find the truth? We find the truth from the word of God. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we need to be prepared with the gospel. You know, one of the best things that we can do to help our brothers and sisters in Christ in the faith, even though we already know they're believers, we already trust that, you know, I trust that you guys have faith in Jesus Christ and you're walking with Jesus. But when you're struggling with temptation, when you're struggling with difficulty, one of the best things that I know that I can do for you is pray for you and preach the gospel to you and remind you of who you are in Jesus Christ. The gospel is for the believers as much as it is for the unbelievers. The gospel, yes, is what leads people to salvation, but the gospel is what preserves us in our salvation. Preparation with the gospel of peace, ready to preach the gospel to ourselves, even in times of temptation, especially when we have fallen. What is the thing that, what is sometimes the first thing that happens when we fall in sin? When we sin against God and we are overcome with guilt and that shame because of sinning, what are some of the first things that come to our mind? What a horrible person you must be. Why would you do such a thing? If you were actually a Christian, would you keep practicing these kinds of things? Do you hear all the accusations coming to your heart and coming to your mind as a result of sinning? But what a great comfort to know that if, if we can be prepared, you know, I think the enemy can use those kind of things to make us go further into sin sometimes. But it's a comfort to know that because of the grace of God, we can be forgiven and we stand uncondemned. And as a result of that, even after I've just sinned, I can come back to my Savior Jesus Christ. And like the father to the prodigal son, he welcomes me with open arms, not condoning my sin, but offering me forgiveness and calling me to repentance. But I think when we forget that and when we're not ready with the gospel of peace, we become an easy target for the devil to say, look at you, look what you've done. You're a worthless sinner and you're not worthy to go talk to God. Don't go talk to God. Don't talk to Jesus Christ. He's ashamed of you because you are, you've done this horrible thing and it causes us to just simply go further and further into sin. And we get dragged off into the world. We kind of binge on sin, so to speak. And what are the other tools he gives us? The shield of faith. It guards our heart. It guards our mind. Faith in God, trusting that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do and has done everything he said he has done. And then the helmet of salvation. We trust and believe that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and the word of God. 
The Word of God, it guards us from the attacks of the enemy, and it, it, it helps us to strike at the enemy's attacks with, with the Word. We respond to our temptations with what we know to be true from God's Word. We quote the Scriptures to ourselves and to the enemy, knowing that these things are true. The enemy uses God's Word sometimes to create temptations. Remember Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? He quoted Scripture, but then Jesus responded by quoting Scripture accurately. I think the enemy sometimes will twist and contort things, and we need to know the Word so that we're not easily deceived. Another passage of Scripture is Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, For even though I'm absent in the body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit. Paul is talking about the body of Christ here, and he says, Rejoicing to see your good discipline. So Paul's saying, I've, I've, I've watched you as a church, and it brings my heart great joy because you guys are disciplined in your faith. You're studying the Word of God. You're praying. You're drawing near to Christ. You're helping the brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if Paul showed up today, walked in and said, Man, you guys just bring me so much joy because of your discipline and the stability of your faith. Wouldn't that be a, a neat encouragement to hear from Paul after all we know about Paul? That'd be kind of cool. Paul showed up, and that's what he was saying. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. So, so Paul is saying, look, I see the stability of your faith. You have good discipline. Now walk in it. Stay in that. Walk in your good discipline, firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So he's preparing them for a battle for of, of their mind. He's saying that you are going to be tempted to believe false things, false philosophies, empty deceptions, traditions of men, elementary principles of the world, all these, all these ideologies of the world. People are, and you know what, I, you know, before service today, we were talking about some various, I was talking to a few people just about some various things that people believe that are just so bizarre to me. Like, I just can't get my head around how somebody could believe some things. But they're so convinced, so convinced in their mind. And they've got evidence to, that they can compile to support their argument. And in their mind and in their heart, it's 100% accurate and everybody else is wrong. And these people, they believe something so wholeheartedly and everybody else is completely gone, you know? And I can't get my head around sometimes how people can believe some bizarre things. But I think that's the warning that we get in Scripture is that we're very easily led. We're very easily deceived. I think if you study our culture and the religious worldviews of today, 
and you see the thousands and thousands and millions of people that follow some certain worldviews and perspectives, it gives you a perspective, shows you just how, how easily led people are. That's why Paul is saying, listen, guys, you have good discipline. You have stability in your faith. You have Jesus Christ. So be disciplined. Walk in that firmly rooted so that you won't be easily led astray. So we have a lot of opposition against us. The devil, the demons, our persecutors, a world of sin, our own flesh. But God is for us. The spirit of God dwells within us. Be on alert. Be sober. Draw near to Christ. Resist him firm in your faith. The last statement he says is knowing, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. That's 1 Peter 5 verse 9. We resist him knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by our brethren who are in the world. That just simply means that resistance requires a firm faith and knowing that you're not alone. I think sometimes we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and sometimes we're struggling with temptations and sin and we feel like we're the only one that must be living like this, sinning in this way. And we're being reminded that this battle that we fight is the same fight that all the rest of our brothers and sisters in Christ have been called to. We're not alone. I think if, if you feel like you're in the darkness and you're alone in some of the sins that you're struggling with, cry out from the darkness to the church and you will hear so many other church members cry back to you and say, we're here and we, uh, we know, we understand and we've experienced the same things. There's comfort in walking with brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not alone and you're not lost. You're with, you're with, you're in good company. You have, you have brethren who walk with you and share in this fight with you. This is why we need the church. I think he's pointing at that when he says that we share in these sufferings together. We need the body of Christ to walk with each other through these things. I think you will see if anyone proclaims to be a believer in Jesus Christ and seemingly stands firm in Christ, but then disconnects themselves from the body of Jesus and becomes more and more and more distant from the body and disconnected from genuine Christian gospel fellowship. You find those people struggling more and more and more with sin. It is as if the enemy has got his claws in them. It might have started with something really small, with something fairly inconsequential, but it appears as though they're slowly being dragged off into the bushes to be devoured. And that's why we're being called to recognize we need the body of Christ and we need to resist him firm in the faith. So the instruction this morning, I'd like to just encourage you to pray through these things. It's to be prepared, be disciplined, stand firm in your faith, and let others help you fight these battles. I invite you to pray through these things this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.